0: Welcome to Here We Are, the podcast where we talk about curiosity, fascination, and what makes us delightfully nerdy. I'm your host for today and for, let's be real, always, Joy Bork. Okay, so today is going to be touching on the world of being a techno nerd. My friend Ryan and I both live in the production world, dealing with getting audio, video, and sometimes even lighting hmm, from one place to another. So, today you're going to hear fun terms like 240p, 480i, or 1080p. And just so you know, we're talking about sizes of video resolution. For reference, 240p and 480i are what your computer shows you in video calls when your internet is bad. 1080p is basic HD. Everything below that just isn't as clear. So, now that we've got all that settled, put your nerd glasses on, settle in, and without further ado, Enjoy my conversation with Ryan.
1: My name is Ryan Pribble, and I'm a huge nerd. Um, yes, <laughs> but I'm also a sound designer by trade, so I get to play with sound all day. And I usually work on TV shows, commercials, independent films, stuff like that.
0: And you do some live mixing as well. For I do, and do do some.
1: Yep, I do do some live mixing.
0: Fantastic. So. I've worked with Ryan on many different events and shoots, and I've found that I have different ways of of getting people's attention. And Ryan has a very distinct tone in my head every time I think of him. It's not just, hey, Ryan, it's Ryan. Just like that. (laughs) And then he just goes, yeah.
1: Yeah. Or jaburk.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that too. (laughs) We go way back. Yeah. All right. What flavor of nerd do you want to talk about today?
1: so i've been collecting and procuring a video game wall for the last few years and ironically enough i don't play a ton of video games but this is more like a collector slash tech nerd kind of side of me is coming out on this
0: how many consoles do you have how did you get started what was your first what are you most proud of
1: big 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 pause i don't know they're being blocked so i'd have to sit down and count. I started rebuilding my childhood collection a few years ago. So I have like the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis, the original Nintendo, stuff like that. But then I discovered that they don't look very good when you plug it into a modern TV. So most of these old consoles run at 240p resolution and TVs interpret that as interlaced 480i. So mm. I'm already nerding all over you.
0: Just translate that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm sure Joy knows what that means, but most people may not. So the difference is progressive versus interlaced. Old CRT TVs were interlaced, which means they would display half of an image every other line, and then it would display the other half of the image every other line, and it would alternate between the two to create an image that you would see that would make sense. So these images would alternate 59 0.94 times a second to create about a 30 frames per second image. So these old video game consoles would output at 240p, which is a lower than 480i resolution, but at 60 frames per second solid. And then an the old CRT would just interpret that and then display it however it could. But most modern TVs don't accept 240p as an input. So then it translates it into this 4Di. And then it takes a lot of time to then convert that back to a progressive image, which is what flat panels are. And then to up res it from 240p or 40 i up to like 1080p, which is HD. So the experience isn't as good as I remembered it as a kid. So I started right. looking into like ways of like, okay, how can I get it? So when I press the button, the guy jumps, you know, like Mario jumps, At the same time i don't hit the button and then wait half a second and then it jumps you know that kind of thing
0: which is is a matter of life and death
1: yes yes especially when a mushroom is coming after you
0: (laughs) oh man goombas right
1: yeah exactly so this kind of sent me down a deep dive into figuring out cables and equipment and all sorts of different stuff to figure out how in the world do you get this image that's coming out of the console to then be interpreted so that a modern display not only looks good, but also like displays it within a reasonable amount of input latency or lag. So oddly enough, a lot of these old consoles can output like RGB, like a uh, red, green, blue information without any modification. We just in the U S didn't have those cables. We had composite and, mm-hmm audio via RCA but in Europe they had this SCART connector which is quite a bit bigger that has red green blue and then stereo audio and then usually a separate sync signal all on one connector so all you had to do is go buy this extra cable and then a way to get SCART into your system to receive essentially like a VGA or like a component equivalent Signal out of these old consoles, and that look, looks way better than composite does. Totally. So, yeah, you can go to like retro gaming cables, or I think Insurrection ind- Industries makes stuff. So, my wife Chelsea is now very accustomed to me saying, I need to buy another cable <laughs> <laughs> because that's <laughs> sort of like the magic sauce to get even like a PlayStation or PlayStation 2, like you can get RGB out of these systems without needing modifications. You just have to figure out the cable situation.
0: Okay. So my next big question is what's your signal flow, but first, can you describe like in a video context, what does signal flow mean?
1: Yeah. So signal flow would be, you just like follow, follow the path of the signal. So it would be like video game system to SCART cable to SCART to HDMI adapter or converter to then HDMI to your TV. So that would be sort of the signal flow. Basically like the signal has to get out of the console and into your TV somehow. Right. So my current setup is I'm using something called a GSCART switch, which automatically switches between eight SCART I- inputs and it sends it out one SCART output. So a bunch of the systems go into the GSCART switch. I couldn't tell you who makes it, I'm sorry. That's um, totally fine. But then that goes into a RetroTINK 5X, which-
0: RetroTINK?
1: Yeah, so that converts it to HDMI and up it five times. So- Wow. 240p up to 1280p. But then it crops a little bit at the top and a little bit at the bottom because all these old systems, the games were designed for tube TVs or CRTs, right. which had overscan. So a little bit of overscan is, a, is fine, but then you get a clean five times scale. And then it runs into a DVDO iScan Duo, What's which that? is a, it's got eight HDMI ends, a couple component ends, and like an S video in. So it's sort of just a video processor that I'm using as like an automatic HDMI switcher, basically. And then that feeds into. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's so many pieces in this yeah, chain.
1: It's nuts. Yeah. And then that feeds into just an audio receiver that I'm using to decode audio. It's, it's an Onkyo receiver, it's got six or seven HDMI ends. And then that then goes to a JVC projector, which is a 4K <laughs> HDR projector, which is so.
0: in front of your perforated screen. Yes. With because... my
1: because I mix sound for a living, so. But the speakers are behind the screen then.
0: Which is so cool.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My projector has like a 30 millisecond uh, response time between input to display, Mm -hmm. but then everything else in the chain is zero lag. So the image looks good and the response time is really good, so.
0: So it's no longer a matter of life and death.
1: Correct, yeah, you can (laughs) jump over the Goomba and squish him and then okay. save the princess.
0: I mean, isn't that what we all want to do?
1: Yes, we all want to save the princess.
0: Okay, so I, I've seen the picture and the picture is is the background of uh, this episode graphic. So it's a big square uh, bookshelf. yeah. Yeah, and you've got all the different cubby holes with lights behind it and all of that good stuff. In my head, I want there to just be a button that you push in front of each console and it just routes that out. Yeah. Is it that easy or are there a couple more steps?
1: Yeah. So once you turn on the system, and I have a Logitech remote that has <laughs> all these different like activities that you can use. It's a Harmony? But, yeah. Universal remote? But like some of the systems, like the Xbox Series X and the PS5, go straight into the receiver, and then they're on the screen because they need a 4K path to get there. Right. And my DVDO is limited to 1080p the ps4 and the xbox one x also go directly to the receiver but everything else gets routed through this dvdo box and that has auto sensing on the hdmi inputs and all the analog inputs and then the gscart switch is auto switching so if you turn like the receiver on the dvdo on and the retro tank on you can just turn any of the consoles except for the new stuff and it'll automatically show up on the screen.
0: That is fantastic.
1: Within a second. Yeah, so you don't have to remember like, oh, what is this one plugged into? So that's probably the secret fun thing is that (laughs) short of four of the systems, it's completely automatic. So.
0: How many iterations did it take you to get there?
1: Quite a few. (laughs) I mean, the DVDO was like the main piece for a really long time. The RetroTINK just solved a couple problems, you know, converting because the DVDO doesn't handle 240p really cleanly. And Mm -hmm. so I had to get that to clean up the 240p inputs. But yeah, once the DVDO box was doing the auto switching thing, I was like, well, I need to keep that across the board. Like every decision then was filtered through can I make this automatic?
0: That's amazing.
1: (laughs) And if this device is on, is it sending a signal that will interrupt something else? And so the cool part is a lot of the other devices, if they're turned, like there's nothing else between it. So like the automatic switching just happens and it's not being interrupted by some device that's sitting between that's just staying on.
0: That's phenomenal. So yeah, it's pretty fun. This is slightly connected, but also different. Can you tell us about how you got into LAN gaming?
1: (laughs) It is slightly connected. Yeah. So when I was growing up, I would have some friends come over and we just started hanging out and then they started offering, Hey, can I bring my computer over so we can play games together? And then maybe before that I started working at a little mom and pop computer repair shop. That's a a little poem.
0: Mom and pop Pop, repair shop. shop.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And when people would get their computers upgraded, they would ask us to dispose of their old parts Mm -hmm. and we would gladly dispose of their old parts. So I would dispose of them by bringing them home and then building new computers for my basement. I had about five or six computers that worked in my house and then my friends would bring over, like for the people that couldn't, fit on those they would bring their own computers over and we would play games in my parents basement like eight of us or something like that i would supply five or six computers and then the rest would have to bring their own stuff but yeah this started in high school and it carries on to today
0: yeah and now you order boxes of tacos and how many people can you fit on one of these land games
1: so before covid i was limiting it to like 32 and so but but we simplified and now we just play Halo on Xbox because you can have 16 players on one system and four people can play on one system so then we would just have local games but then you know now I'm borrowing TVs from people instead of like computers but as time has gone on they've opened up so that like people can play on computers or console together Mm -hmm. so the last one i did we had a few people playing on computers against other people on xboxes so it's pretty fun but ultimately it always it just it's, a, it's it's an excuse for me to have friends over to hang out and kind of be silly so
0: i like that you use the word silly that makes me yes. happy yes okay so i'm attracted to video games because it's a process. It's like checking boxes. It's an achievement. It's movement forward. Is that what attracted you to video games? How did what what keeps you gaming?
1: Sometimes it's the story. So some games have really good stories, just like good movies or good TV shows or something like that. Those are the games that typically have a beginning, middle, and an end. I did have a bit of a stint where I was getting addicted to games that didn't have endings. So like these online role-playing games that just go on forever. So I have to be careful with that. But yeah, I don't know. There's just something fun about video games. I grew up in the 80s, so that was the birth of all this. And I mean, I remember when I got my Super Nintendo for Christmas and it was like the beginning of the end, so to speak, (laughs) because it was just (laughs) like totally sucked into this thing. So yeah, and like I grew up and my best friend growing up, next door would always have a different system than I did so if I had Super Nintendo he would have Psychogenesis I got the 3DO he got the Nintendo 64 so we always were able to play both sides of whatever was going on because there was back then there was a lot more exclusives like you had to have this system to play this game nowadays every game comes out on everything practically so
0: what have been some of like the I, I feel odd saying this, but like game changer games <laughs> in your life. Like what were some of the ones that were pivotal that you like still yeah. have memories of?
1: Yeah. When donkey Kong country came out on super Nintendo, I got a VHS tape of the, like a little bit of a behind the scenes of them making it That's before cool. the game came out and it's cause I was a subscriber to Nintendo power back in the day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what because- is Nintendo power?
1: It was like a magazine, like a (laughs) review and whatever. But yeah, so this VHS shows up and I started watching it. And at the time, games were very like, like pixel art wasn't uh, computer generated. It was like usually people drawing on screens and kind of making stuff up. So Donkey Kong Country and the way they describe it in this video, I may still have it, this little VHS tape, but they... They use the same computers that they use for Terminator 2 and Jurassic Park to create 3D models of like Donkey Kong and then create the sprites, which are like the 2D images that the game console can use for the animation. So the 3D rendering system rendered out the animations as 2D sprites that animate. And so it looked like shockingly realistic for the time Mm -hmm. And like leaps and bounds better than anything else that was out around the time. So that felt like a a pretty major step forward in just like video game graphics. And I just remember I was like, this is the coolest thing ever.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, the magic behind it is so intriguing to start dipping your toe into. Yeah. Like, I remember behind the scenes stuff as a kid being like, oh my gosh, there's a film set. All of that isn't even real.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then I think that was the first time I saw people had jobs as video game testers. I didn't like want to do that as a living, but I was like, this is so cool that this is what you get to do all day is just sit there and play games and find problems. But I'm trying to think of another game that was like pretty pivotal, but I don't think any of them come close to ranking like that one does.
0: Do you have any that you played over and over and over again?
1: I still play Donkey Kong Country, to be totally honest with you. I, I had it booted up the other I had it booted up the other day. So, as part of these game nights that I, th- I throw, we usually end the night by playing a very particular version of Tetris. On Nintendo 64, there's a version of Tetris called the New Tetris, which allows you to play four people on the same screen at the same time. You can like send your garbage to each other and like, you know, kind of like add lines to their bottom and push. Push up their playfield mm-hmm. but what's unique about this version is if you make a four by four square out of different pieces then it, you get a ton more points and so if you get really good then you could be you know getting significantly more lines cleared because of these bonuses of creating these blocks so we can play all night and keep going and it's pretty fun <laughs> but
0: would you say you're a champion?
1: I fall out of practice and then it takes me a few games to get back into it. But yeah, I friend Keith and I, and we're usually pretty neck and neck trying to, <laughs> <laughs> you know, everyone else like loses and falls away. And then we're sitting there playing for another 20 minutes. So it's fine. seems yeah. normal. Yeah.
0: So what I know of you is that like in your intro, you said you're super nerdy. So did video games play into. Like, was that the beginning of your foray into technology? Because like, I hear you say you worked at a mom and pop computer shop, which should be a band name and you should call it. (laughs) Um, And then from there, that was when you started building computers. And so then out of building computers, you figured out what do I like, what do I don't like? And now we're like evolving to your home studio and your video game wall and all of these different things. Are they all connected?
1: I think so. I think video games have sort of been the like motivation behind a lot of my pursuit into technology and pursuit into computers and stuff like that. My interest in sound kind of intersected along the way. And I consider myself like a bit left brain and right brain. I'm, I'm a pretty good troubleshooter, but also can be creative, but there is something about the trajectory of being interested in technology and computers and stuff and how video games play into that but then also where I'm at now
0: yeah you just followed your curiosity and it led you to a really cool place yeah when you were little knowing that you do sound design now how did you experience video game sounds and music was it irritating did you have favorites did you yeah
1: I don't know that I was like super aware I I think I was more aware of the music in the games because I mean back then uh, the old consoles had like a sound chip so it's right. not like someone could just go out and record a bear and then put the bear in the game you know or mm-hmm. i don't even know what donkey kong is, is he a He's he's a ape, right yeah ape. yeah so later on they're able to add samples in but like donkey kong country has some samples and some chip generated music but for the most part like especially like sega genesis those games are all synthesized using the onboard sound chip
0: right
1: nowadays Modern consoles are a hundred percent sample based sound designers like me create gunshots and music and ambiences, stuff like that. And then the game engine kind of does the mix for you. But the big turning point for me was when I was 13, I went to see Jurassic park in the theater and that was sort of the like aha moment of like, oh, you can't just go record dinosaurs right. and then put them in movies. Someone had to create these voices of these dinosaurs and then make it believable so that when you're watching the film, you're like, yeah, that that sounds like what that creature would sound like. And so that's when I started getting curious about it and exploring and found out Gary Rystrom was the sound designer on Jurassic Park, and he basically created these voices for these creatures.
0: Of the more modern games, do you have a favorite that that's known for its soundtrack?
1: Yeah. Skyrim has a great score. The uncharted games have great music and great sound design and all that stuff. You know, they're really good if you haven't checked them out. They're awesome.
0: That's fantastic. Uh final question. Is there anything you wish people knew about old video game systems integrating video systems, video games, sound design?
1: Yeah, I think for one, there's still a huge community of people sort of resurrecting or getting these old systems to be more modernized. So you can buy wireless controllers for old systems still. There's a ton of activity in like keeping them playable. So as systems get old, parts start failing or like a CD drive might die. So you can go to retroRGB.com to like get the lowdown on a lot of this stuff. But basically there's optical disc emulators. so you can take the optical drive out of your old system and then put an optical drive emulator into it and then load up an SD card with a ton of ROMs. And That's then the amazing. ROMs the ROMs are presented to the system as though it's the disc. You can then have the entire collection of all the games for the whole system on one SD card now.
0: That's fantastic. And then,
1: and then you can play on original hardware with even more games then.
0: <laughs> That's really cool.
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of energy and movement to kind of keep these old systems in use. I think a lot of people don't remember, but gameplay was king back then. So even though the graphics weren't as good as they are now, the gameplay was, generally speaking, better or as good. Almost every retro game plays at 60 frames per second, where a lot of the current stuff, you know, you're lucky if it gets to 30, you know, it's only really the PS5 and the Xbox Series X are restoring 60 frames per second again. Playing an old game on an old system can be just as fun, even though the graphics aren't quite as fancy.
0: Thank you for sharing with me. This is, this is so cool. I haven't actually, nerd, (laughs) for those of you who can't see, I often push glasses up my nose, whether visible or invisible. And I learned that from Ryan, because what's the quote that goes with it? Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, Lord as
1: you Rings. Yes. push your glasses up your
0: nose. <laughs>
1: as you become a bigger nerd. Yes.
0: yes. Thanks for sharing yeah. your nerd, Ryan.
1: Yes. Happy to.
0: So here we are. I love surrounding myself with amazing nerds like Ryan. For so many years now, I've admired his techno geekness at surface level. And today we got to dive into it. And I absolutely love it in all the ways and as an added bonus, you can see Ryan's video game wall in the episode graphics, and he even provided links to the pieces of gear that he mentioned, and those are all going to be in the show notes. Thanks again, Ryan. All right. I've got to know, what is one of your flavors of nerd, and how does that show up for you? This is that part of the show where I ask you to email me at herewearethepodcast at gmail.com and tell me all about how you nerd out. And if you want to just talk to me on Facebook or Instagram, you can do that too. I just don't check it very often. And if you're looking to go one step further and financially support what I'm doing with the podcast, head on over to patreon.com. Search for Here We Are The Podcast and sign up for one of the many quirky support tiers. And until next time, don't forget that curiosity wins and the world needs more nerds. Bye.